Hayes, Alexander, Shabbat for three, bang, oh! will get it for the win. What's going on guys? Welcome back to Dime Dropper for our playoff recaps. We are now at the conference finals. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast, Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and of course to subscribe or follow us on all social media platforms at Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Dime Dropper Pod. So for tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about the two games that happened tonight. But before we get to that, I have to say a few words. I'm going to start off with... <laughs> uh, we did it, man. I can't believe we did it. We made it out of the second round. You guys saw my video. If you haven't checked it out, please do. It's... Raw emotion, it's electricity, you know, it's a dream come true. I waited for that moment my whole life, 16 years, hearing all the jokes, hearing all the ridicule, you know, in the same, in your own city, going to school, whenever we lost. It's not the same as when another team loses in another city. You know, when, as I said, when the Charlotte Hornets lose, when the Minnesota Timberwolves lose, those people in Minnesota and Charlotte can mourn together. When the Clippers lose, at least in this last decade, we get ridiculed. And there's nothing like that. There's nothing like being the, being the secondary team in your city and having the worst history of any team in the history of the league. And, you know, there were so many times I wanted to jump. I was contemplating jumping off board. Even though I knew I couldn't in my heart, I knew I couldn't. Even in this playoffs, I was like, man, like, is it, not, is it too late? But I know it's too late because I'm just the way I am. I'm loyal. I'm never going to switch. Once I make a commitment, there is no going back. <clears throat> Last year was really hard. Extremely. You know, obviously my video ended up aging very poorly. The one that got all you guys here, my famous rant. I actually haven't watched it back since we won the other night. I, I kind of want to do that just to see the re reaction. There was a time where it used to make me kind of emotional watching that video because I was so, just so looking at, like, scared looking at my own eyes because I don't really get that angry ever. I mean, I do get angry sometimes, but that level, the pain in my eyes, the anger in my eyes, sometimes I would just think, how could a team make me so sad? And that's just how much I cared, you know? I remember standing up 2015, game four against the Rockets, I was there. And I remember standing up around the stadium as we were up 20-something points. And I was thinking to myself, like, after the, the Raja Bell famous three that broke my heart in 2006, after the 2014 Chris Paul choke, after the 2013 loss to the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round, after a 56-win season, mind you, and after countless seasons of just being there, seeing the Clippers in a near-empty stadium, not empty, but, you know, you know, a lot of empty seats, I should say, I was like, we're finally going to make it to the conference finals in my ninth year as a fan. I'm sorry, my tenth year as a fan. Little did I know we'd have the worst collapse 
that I've ever that I'd ever felt in sports. And then five years later, we would only get back to the same spot and do it again in a worse fashion. Sometimes I would think that I was literally gonna die before we made it out of the second round, straight up. More so a championship, but I thought I would at least have gray hair or be thirty to forty years old sometimes after we made it past the second or when we made it past the second round. Just because I know that sounds extreme, but it's just you know when you're in the moment and everything goes wrong against you, you just sometimes don't think it's possible. But to be in that building, it was just. It was unlike any experience I've ever had. It was just perfect for the occasion. It was almost meant to be. I mean, how fitting that a team that has a history of choking would make a comeback and against a team that blew a 25-point lead to lose, and now they made history because of it. The Jazz pulled the Clippers against the Clippers to break the Clipper curse. You can't script it. You know, the satisfaction of beating the Utah Jazz, my least favorite team in probably now I'd say NBA history. So if you're a Jazz fan watching this, fuck you respectfully. You suckers. Pretenders. One seed. Without Kawhi, you lost two games straight. Four in a row. And you know why? Because they kept chucking themselves out of it. And we, on the other hand, had guys like Paul, Reggie, senior, that got a a diverse look at shots. You know, I think sometimes we can be too three happy as well. But I think that our shot quality and where we shoot from is different than that of Utah. I think Utah completely neglected the mid-range. I think that Rudy Escar-Gobert, yo, my take, if you guys were listening to my podcast last year during the Glorified Summer League, my takes about the Jazz age so well. Because I said that they're never going to make it. I said personally, they're not going to make it out of the second round with Rudy Escar-Gobert as their second best player. And at, at first, when watching this season play out, I was like, okay, I'm probably going to be wrong. I was right, though, because he got exposed in many ways. In the first way, I think the most notable way was that we went small and they can't take advantage of a mismatch because he's got no post game. So, yeah, you can say that's skill ball by the Clippers. It's a lack of skill by the Jazz big man that he can't even post up a 6'8 guy. He can't post up a Paul. He can't post up a Nick Batum. He can't post up a Marcus Morris Sr., And then on defense, I think the Jazz showed their flaws. They can't stay in front of the ball one-on-one. They rely on Rudy a lot on defense to protect the rim. And when you're getting beat off the dribble and we're going five out and Terrence Mann and all those guys are making all their open threes, the game plan was clearly to give Terrence Mann open shots. And it failed so miserably. And, you know, that kid went off in game seven against the Mavs. And I said it all last year. Actually, at the end of the, at the, right when we were about to get eliminated, I said, next year, we need to play Terrence Mann more. I thought we should have played him more last year because I saw that he played hard. But you know, Glenn Rivers, he ain't going to give the young guys a chance like that. And this year, Ty has given Terrence Mann minutes, and he has gone from just a young player on the Clippers to a cult. Hero. Terrence, mama, there goes that man. A performance of the ages. A performance that no Clipper fans are ever going to forget for the rest of their lives. I want to say, I also want to take this chance to apologize and accept my L. I was very wrong about Paul George. Actually, I wouldn't say, I I mean, 
I was I was pretty wrong. I'm gonna put it this way. I mean, I underestimated what a great coach could do. I underestimated what the power of a great coach can do that instills confidence in his players. And you know what? I thought that Paul George got the ball too much last year. And you know what? I was wrong. Ty said, let me give him the ball more. And that's why I'm not a coach. And I'm standing in front of this microphone. And Ty Lue is. He gave him the ball more. He made him more of a point forward tying a deal to run our offense this season alongside Kawhi because we didn't have that true point guard until Rondo showed up later in the season. And he just played with confidence. From that first game against the Lakers, he played with more confidence this year. And the way he's bounced back after that bone edema, you know, and I have to take my L about Ty Lue. I was so critical about the way that they tanked for the Lakers and how we got complacent with our seeding. I was wrong. I was very wrong. They knew what they were doing the whole time. And that's why they're in the position that they are. And that's why they're qualified. It feels so good to have a coaching staff that's smarter than me. It really does. Because... I'm eternally, so I just want to say I apologize to Marcus Morris Sr., to Paul George uh, for the video last year. I mean, some of those things were just, I apologize in the comments. Uh, if you guys go check the video out, I have a pinned comment where I apologize to the players. Um, but, you know, I, I, I posted that video when I had 40 subscribers. You know, I never thought it would blow up the way it did. Some of the things I said were just out of the heat of the moment, just so angry and just, you know, I didn't mean everything I said in terms of like calling it an idiot or calling a grown man a bitch. You know, at the end of the day, these are every person that's played in the NBA is, you know, we all look up to them to some extent because they got where we all couldn't. But Ty Lu, Paul George, every single member of the roster, I'm eternally grateful. You made my dream come true. I obviously have bigger dreams. That's a championship. But whatever this, whatever happens this year, this 2021 Clippers team is going to always be my favorite. They had moments where I didn't enjoy watching them play, for sure. But throughout the year, they had a next-man-up attitude, and they made me proud, and they did the unthinkable. And just being in that building, I mean, you guys saw the reaction. It was it was delirious. I mean, I got also got recognized by several people from the channel, like just knew me from the channel. So if you're watching this video, man, shout-out to you guys that came up to me at the game. It was it just, just being recognized. I mean, I've been going to games for 16 years. To be recognized for just talking about the game on YouTube, I can't put it into words, man. We finally did it. So let's get into today's game. First conference finals game. Very, very unique experience for me. Uh, very unique experience. Phoenix Suns. So this is our first time playing the Phoenix Suns since 2006. This is our only other time playing them. I want my revenge badly. Obviously, we have the Chris Paul news out for the uh, with the coronavirus. Kawhi is still out. So I thought going into today's game, it was anyone's game. But I honestly thought we should have won this game going into it. And I thought that the first quarter was pretty dead even. Uh, initial, the first thing I noticed was DeAndre Ayton is going to be a totally different ball game. You know, we started out with our small ball lineup, but DeAndre Ayton, unlike Chucker Porzingis and unlike Rudy, no post game, Escargo Bear, he actually has skill. And I've talked about this all year. DeAndre Ayton has skill, and he has completely stepped up his game in the postseason, which is not what I expected, quite frankly. And. You can tell he can get, when he's got good post position, he's going to hit a little jump hook from six feet. He's going to be able to hit a little turnaround. And he had 20 points tonight, uh, today, DeAndre Ayton. 10 to 14, very efficient. So I noticed that right off the bat. But I like the way we stood with it in the beginning of the game. You know, we were still getting good shots. And I thought Paul George played great again. I mean, I think it was 10 points he had in the first quarter. Uh, tied after one, 21 21. I thought both sets of team got some good looks. I thought we weren't making all of them, especially Marcus Morris Sr. Again, he went back to his old ways. 
Uh, old ways meaning certain games in these playoffs. 3 of 11 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3. So expect him to be a lot better going forward. I mean, 0 of 5 from 3. I mean, he missed some wide open looks. So without Chris Paul, I thought that campaign played very well. 5 of 10, 11 points, 9 assists. Coming off those screens, you know, one thing that's very dangerous about campaign, he's not neglecting any part of the court. He's getting into the mid-range. He's shooting floaters. He's shooting mid-ranges. And if you're sagging off too deep in drop coverage, he's pulling the three ball. And another thing I noticed, I already knew this, of course, but Devin Booker is not going to be like Donovan Mitchell. He's not going to neglect the mid-range game. He's going to score from everywhere on the court, which makes it that much harder to guard him. And that's one thing I love about Devin Booker. That's one thing I've been telling you guys all year, watching these Phoenix Suns very much like I've watched them, is that he doesn't neglect any part of the court. He's got one of the most well-rounded scoring games, much more well-rounded than Luka and Donovan Mitchell. And honestly, I think he's probably better than Donovan. I think that Donovan's you know, showed some of his weaknesses on the defensive end in that game six. And I also think that he showed some of his tendencies to take some bad shots. I think Devin Booker's shot selection is much better than Jason Tatum, than Luka, than Donovan. That kid is just special. And we're going to talk about him more as I, as I go on. But I liked how we went with Boogie in the second quarter. I thought Boogie and Rondo did have some good minutes together. I thought Rondo without Boogie wasn't very good. I thought Pat Bev was okay, but I just thought that Rondo and Bev defensively, like I thought Bev, when he's guarding Booker, when he gets hit with a screen and he's getting over it, that hand is kind of non-existent. You know what I mean? Like he come, he's coming off those screens, uh, Booker, and, and Bev's chasing him, and he can kind of get a hand up, but that's a 6-2 hand coming from behind you. You know, for Booker, that's not really a big deal. And I thought that Rondo, one thing I'll say about the, him about Rondo, the one thing, I, the one criticism I have of him in the beginning, he, he missed two shots. He was 3 of 5 in the game. He missed two shots. There were two layups. They were the first shots he took. But one thing I will say about Rajan is this. When we're playing pick and roll straight up, Deon, and DeAndre Ayton is, and Devin Booker, the ball handler, is getting two guys, and you need somebody to rotate on Ayton, when Rondo's rotating on Ayton from the weak side, he needs to either get his body in front of Ayton and take a charge, or he needs to swipe at the ball or foul him hard. Because there's too many times today, th- two or three times, where, you know, we're obviously have to, we have to throw two people on Booker off the screen. You can't just sag off to, on him too much. Because in the third quarter, that's where we got burned. Where Devin Booker was coming off those screens and hitting those mid-ranges, no problem. And yeah, DeMarcus Cousins was partially at fault, you know, in drop coverage. He's not the best. Uh, Zubats played 18 minutes. He was okay. You know, Devin Booker is going, with those shooters around him, we're picking our poison with Book. If we're not switching everything. And against this team, it's a little harder to switch everything when they have Aiton, who can actually take advantage of mismatches. And I think that the Phoenix Suns probably have the best IQ of any team left. And I think that the reason why, I think I said this before, they make the very, they make the least dumb decisions of any team. And I honestly retract my statement about the Suns in the first round. I said that they're not a good, they're not a, I said they're a very good team, not a great one. And I said there's not many great teams in the NBA right now, and I still stand by that statement. However, I would say that the Suns are a great team and the Bucks are a good team. Because, oh, I should talk about that game too at some point. I will. But I thought that, yeah, Rondo, he needs to be better with those rotations. If he's going to rotate, because we're going to throw two guys in the ball handler, on Chris Paul, on Booker, you know, you can't let these guys get into their mid-range and drop coverage. You need your big man to come up a little bit higher and just try to get them to, to pass the ball and, and then rotate. So if they can get the ball to Aiton, Rondo needs to be early on those rotations. So that's my criticism of Rondo. 
And then Boogie, yeah, he's not the most mobile guy on defense. But overall, I'm not going to be too mad about, you know, Boogie and Rondo as individuals because I thought that a lot of this game was experimental. And I thought that we were down three going in a half and then Devin Booker just went off after we made a run, after Reggie and Paul George. And Paul George, again, I thought he was really good until the fourth quarter. You know, I think he does deserve some blame. But at the same time, when you're getting 34 points from Paul, 10 of 26, that's that's not bad. That's, uh, that's around 40%. Could be better, but and then 7 of 15 from 3. I'm honestly not mad at Paul. I mean, he was plus 1 in the game, plus minus wise. He's performing. He's performing. I thought our defense was poor, though. And here's the thing. This is, this is something that we have seen in these first two series for the Clippers. Our defense has not been sharp. We haven't been our sharpest selves in the first game. Ty Lewis tinkered with lineups a lot. I mean, we went 10 deep today, and... You know, Boogie got 13 minutes. You got Zoo getting 18, Rondo getting 22, Bev getting 15, Kennard getting 8. You know, it's very all over. And, you know, Senior getting 21. It was exper- very experimental. Now, the question is this. Are we going to finally pay for it, you know, being experimental, whereas the Suns seemed like they were – I thought the shot quality of Phoenix was better. I thought that their defense was was sharper. I thought Crowder, Bridges, Torrey Craig, Aiton did better than any big of ours defensively. And I just thought their energy was right. I thought they were the better team today. Quite, you know, just quite frankly, I thought they were the better team. And I'm not concerned at all because we've been down 0-2 both series. So I just am a little fearful that because Chris Paul wasn't playing, we didn't take our chance. But you know what? I just don't feel as though this was the game to steal. I just don't. And I know we were only down by two points heading into the fourth. Paul George, you know, he could have played better. I thought we fell in love with the three ball too much. Definitely fell in love with that three ball too much. And the Suns capitalized. What can I say? You know, Mikael Bridges, he had some big shots in that second half. 6 of 11 with 14 points. I mean, that's exactly what you want to see from him if you're a Suns fan. 13 points from Jay Crowder, 5 of 10 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3. You know, and then Devin Booker. I mean, he was the man of the hour, wasn't he? 40 points, 13 rebounds, and 11 assists on 15 of 29 shooting and 3 of 7 from 3. He was the best player on the court in this game. And as a result, the Suns won. And we really missed Kawhi on defense in this game. We truly did. But I'm not going to make excuses about Kawhi because they didn't have Chris Paul. They were just the better team today. It's as simple as that. And I think we're, we're going to adjust. We're going to be totally fine. If we lose, if we go down 2 nothing, then we can talk a little bit more. But as of now, I'm not too concerned. I thought that there was a lineup, though, where Ty Lue, I don't exactly remember the exact lineup. I think it was to start the fourth quarter, though, or maybe it was late third. But it was like Rondo, the Boogie, Kennard, Bev, something along those lines. It just wasn't a very good lineup. So Ty Lue does deserve some blame for this game today as well. But I'm not going to grill our coach. And here's the thing, guys. Remember when I said I used to be that optimistic little kid? Well, now that we've finally broke the curse, we made it out of the second round, I'm, I'm that optimistic little kid again. You know, this team, they did what I asked them to do. And you know what? I'm going to say this, though. There is, and because I'm going to talk about it in these other games, but there has never, ever been a better chance for the Clippers to win a championship than this. Quite frankly, we have to win the championship this year. We have to. I just don't think it's going to get any easier going forward. I think this is the opportunity, and you can't squander these opportunities. The same applies for Phoenix, though, and Milwaukee. Because Nets are going to come back healthier next year. Lakers are going to come back healthier next year. Nuggets are going to come back healthier next year. If you're the Clippers, you're the Suns, because the, the, the Hawks aren't going to win, but we'll get into them soon. But if you're the Hawks, 
I mean, if you're the Bucks, Suns, or Clippers, this is it. But especially for us, because I don't care about those other teams. But that's the final from Phoenix, 120-114. to 114, A good game, one win for the Suns. An incredible performance by Devin Booker. Reggie Jackson had a very good game, I thought. 24 points, 10 of 19, but 4 of 12 from 3. 47 threes. I know he shot 42%, but that's a lot. That's a lot. We're shooting 47 threes and 41 twos. Not a huge fan of that, personally. I'm just not a huge fan of that. Suns shot 32 threes and then 57 twos, and they won. So I just thought their shot quality was higher. Anyway, that's okay, Clipper fans. Don't be don't be nervous. I think we're going to be fine. Just we'll wait till the next game and see how it goes. But let's talk about the Hawks and the 76ers game seven. So by the way, for those that are watching the visual version, yes, I got the glasses look on right now. I'm getting laser eye surgery on Wednesday. So wish me luck. Uh, I'm also, so I'm not going to be going live, obviously, that day. But thankfully, the Clippers don't play that day. It'll be Eastern Conference Finals. But let's talk about the Sixers and the, and the Hawks. So this is what you play for. A game seven at your own house. And all the pressure's on the Sixers. All the pressure's on Glenn Rivers. All the pressure's on Embiid and Ben Simmons and the rest of them. My thing is this with the Sixers. I I haven't been able to really lock in on this series because game one and game four and game six were all while I was going to the games, Clipper games. So I didn't get to watch those games and I just didn't get to watch them back. So my expertise on this series is not the highest, but I will say this. I watched the game tonight. I saw that Joel Embiid started out with authority. I thought that Trey Young had a very poor shooting night, but I still think he did some great things. Ten assists is part of those great things. But Kevin Herter, that guy came to play. And I've been talking about how solid Kevin Herter is offensively all year because the Hawks were a dime dropper team too in the beginning. And he brought it, man. He just, his array of shots. I mean, he had some tough mid-ranges, you know, step backs, coming off screens, you know, snaking his way to the elbow. He made some big shots. I mean, 27 points. He was the leading scorer for the Hawks, 10 of 18 and 2 of 4 from 3. But the Sixers, second quarter, they only scored 18 points. So I got to watch the tape back. But Tobias Harris was really struggling. You know, Seth Curry, 6 of 10. I don't know why he only got 10 shots. I'm going to have to watch this tape back. But the Hawks were just hanging around. And I thought the Sixers, they just... I think that partially, they went too deep again. I mean, you're playing 10 guys in a game seven at home. You know, Shake Milton's getting five minutes. George Hill's getting 22 minutes. And here's the thing. I'm a big George Hill guy, but I haven't seen enough of him in this series to warrant him getting those minutes. And then you got Tyrese Maxey playing 14. He was 0 of 2. I just think that this dude, Glenn Rivers, he just has no fucking clue what he's doing. Like, straight up. I'm not, you know, it's so satisfying to see the way that this team collapsed. Because the guy, I, I, this is more on the players. This is more on the players. I, again, and last year was more on the players too. Clippers. You know, it's not all the coach. This is a players league. At the end of the day, the players got to go out there and perform. But Glenn Rivers, he doesn't make these things any easier in my opinion. He just he goes too deep with his rotations in the playoffs. And I think that's something that we always paid the price for. I know Ty Lue has gone deep, but it's been, it's been a little more method to his madness, in my opinion. Whereas Glenn, 
you know, he just kind of treats them like regular season games sometimes in the way he does his rotations. And I just think that it's not a coincidence when a, when a coach disappoints this much, you know, at all. Another, this is the second consecutive year he's lost in a game seven that he was favored, mind you. And he was the number one seed. Number one seed losing to a team of kids. I know Gallinari and Lou Williams are experienced. Capella is, not, is fairly experienced. But John Collins, Kevin Herter, Trey Young, Bogdanovich, this is their first playoffs, these guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, Tobias has been in the playoffs multiple times. Embiid, you know, this is their fourth year at this. Ben Simmons, third year, you know, because he was injured last year. And I think the Danny Green injury actually did hurt this team a good amount. It really did. Because Danny Green, say what you want about him, but it's not a coincidence that he won two championships in a row as a starter. It's really not. And this Sixer team, I mean, what a disappointing ending to the season. And I'm going to say this right here. Embiid tried very hard. He tried very hard. I think he had a great game, and I think that this series is not really on him at all, especially playing through the meniscus. 31 points, 11 rebounds, 11 of 21 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3, 7 of 10 from the line. He usually shoots around that 80% mark, though, so if you could have given him one more free throw, it could have maybe impacted the game late. 41 minutes played, so he played. Maybe he could have played more, but Embiid's, you know, again, he's injured. But I also thought that, again, just like game five, I thought that he didn't make big shots when they counted. He wasn't able to make big shots at the end of the game when the pressure was on. And he even lost the ball at the foul line late in the game. Gallinari poked it from behind and went on for a dunk. And that put a big smile on my face because I love, you know, I love Gallinari. But also, Trey Young, he took some very ill advised shots, but in the fourth quarter, he made some really big shots. Like that mid range that he pulled up for, he made a floater, he even made a deep three. And Ice Trey has really shut me up. You know, I was very critical of him earlier in the year when Pierce was still the coach. And I thought that I think McMillan deserves so much credit. If we could have had a change in, I mean, actually, no, I'd still take Thibodeau as my coach of the year. But Nate McMillan, he took this team from a team that was about to be in the lottery again to now they're in the conference finals. Like, you know, you guys know the Atlanta Hawks, the Atlanta Hawks, not St. Louis, the Atlanta Hawks, since they moved to the Eastern Conference, have only made it to the Eastern Conference Finals twice, 2015 and now 2021. Incredible. And you got to give Trey Young so much credit. A young leader, my age, leading a team to the Conference Finals in his first playoffs. That's incredible. That's very incredible. And this Sixers team... It's no excuses for them. They blew it on their home floor. And that's incredible that both teams that had a game seven at home lost. You know, when do you, you don't see that. Two teams losing game seven at home in front of a raucous crowd. And the Philly fans were booing them so much. And they deserve it. They deserve every bit of it. And you know who deserves the most slander of all? Not Tobias. Because even though Tobias... 33% 33% from the field, 8 of 24 is not good enough. 24 points, 14 rebounds, that sounds good. He made some shots late in the game. But some of those shots were shots that Tobias makes in his sleep. And he missed them. And I'm all for playing well when it counts in the fourth. But I love Tobias. But he has somewhat consistently come up short in the playoffs so far in his career. Consistently. And But Ben Simmons, oh lord. Looking at the stats, they actually look very not that bad. Five points, eight rebounds, 13 assists, 
two of four from the field, and of course, some good defense, and only one of two from the foul line. But man, oh man, this is a guy that averages 14 points a game. Not only... Okay, so they haven't they haven't calculated the game tonight into his average for the for the postseason. But this guy, man, in this series, <laughs> he averaged ten points. Ten points. He's he just hasn't improved his game offensively. He hasn't improved his game. And I have no respect for guys that don't work on their craft. None. And I said this after the 2019 season when I saw that he didn't improve. When I see Luka improving, I see Trey Young improving, I see Devin Booker improving, I see Donovan Mitchell improving, I see Jason Tatum improving, I see John Morant improving, I don't see Ben Simmons improving. I see Brandon Ingram improving, I see Julius Randle improving, and I still don't see Ben Simmons improving. Not only does he not have a jumper, he doesn't even have a post game. He has no running hook. He can't take advantage of a mismatch. He has no confidence offensively. And the most appalling play of the entire postseason, he has a he spun off a of Gallinari. Gallo reached for the steal. He's got a point-blank layup, a dunk, with Trey Young under the rim. Trey Young, who's not even six feet. And this motherfucker is 6'9". And he's passing the ball. And Tybo misses a free throw. I mean, that's a season-costing play that changes momentum. I mean, so embarrassing just the way he played. So embarrassing. Disgraceful. I mean, what's the guy's contract? Didn't he sign a fat extension a couple years ago? Like, wow. You know, I'm all for defense, guys. I'm all for defense. But what a disappointment. And he deserves the lion's share of this blame more than Glenn. But here's the thing about Glenn. They blew two 15-plus point leads in game four and five. He's notorious for blowing leads, this Glenn Rivers. Phil Jackson said it in 2010. And I know all too well. And then you have a game seven at your own house and you still don't win. It's not a coincidence that this clown lost in the second round. And maybe people were right. And maybe he was the second round curse with the Clippers. Because here's the thing. Blake Griffin was right. He said that the Clipper curse wasn't a second round thing. It was that we always sucked. That we couldn't make the playoffs. If That second round thing became a new thing. But maybe that was a Glenn Rivers thing. Because he's carried it over with him to Philadelphia. After being the number one seed. Against an inexperienced team. I mean, you cannot script it. And we made the conference finals in one year with Ty Lue. One year. Uh, Ty was sitting right next to me. It's not going to be any different. Can you believe his assistant was that much better of a coach than him? Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. That Ty Lue had to sit there and shut his mouth and listen to this guy. This clown. I'm so satisfied, man. This playoffs right now... Could not be going any better for me. Obviously, I'd like us to be up one nothing, but you know we made the conference finals. I can't complain. And look at the four teams remaining, which segues. I'm going to read the stats in a second, but look at the four teams remaining. The Atlanta Hawks. You know when the last time they made the finals was? Holy shit. 19. I think it was... 
1961 was the last time the Hawks made the finals. 1961. And then the Phoenix Suns, 93. Never won a championship before. Hawks have one ring, 58 St. Louis when they beat Russell. Clippers. Most tragic franchise in NBA history. Enough said. And the Bucks, One chip. One with Kareem in 71. One of those four teams is going to win the whole shebang. I can't believe it. Like, just think about it in your head, guys. Either Giannis is going to be holding up a finals MVP trophy, probably. Or it's going to be Chris Paul finally getting his ring. Or the fucking Clippers. The one franchise that so many people said are never going to win a championship. Will win. I just don't think the Hawks are going to win. No offense, Hawks fans. I just don't think... I think you have an amazing future. But I just don't think this, you're good enough to win the championship. I got bucks in six. So that actually brings me to a segue. So amazing, guys. Celebrate this. Celebrate the non-big names being in. Celebrate that we don't have a best player in the league conversation right now. Steph's not here. Joker's not here. Kawhi's not playing. LeBron's not here. KD's out. So the best player in the world isn't playing. This is a free-for-all. Some people want to say it's an asterisk. Whatever. They can say whatever they want. At the end of the day, they're playing with fans. They're playing um, a full season with with no stoppages. And I just think it's it's just an incredible time to be a basketball fan and witness some history that's going to be made here, regardless of what team wins. To see these four teams remaining, it's just sick. You know, three small markets, one big market, secondary in their own city, though. I've always been shitted on. So it's going to be amazing. It's just awesome for a bas- for the basketball purist. You know, for the casual, it must suck. But I'm so happy we didn't get a Nets-Lakers finals. That would have been a nightmare. That would have literally been like, you know, these elections. You just choose who you hate less. But let's look at the stats for this Philadelphia game. As it comes to an end, the Sixers are out in the second round. As I said, they would be. Um, not in this series. I had them winning this series. But I said before the season that the Sixers won't make it out of the second round. And... Trey Young, I already said him. I already said Kevin Herter. Capella, 13 points, 6 rebounds, 6 of 8 from the field. John Collins, 14 points and 16 rebounds. I thought he had a solid night. 5 of 6. Gallinari, 17 points, 6 of 13 and 3 of 7 from the field. I thought he had some great contributions and made some big shots. And I want to congratulate my Clipper boys, Lou Williams and Danilo Gallinari. This is their first time making the conference finals. Lou Williams has been in the league for, I think, 16 years now. This is his first conference finals appearance, and it was the first year he got traded, and he was contemplating retirement. So I'm so happy for Lou. I'm so happy for Gallo to make the conference finals. And then for the Sixers, I already read the Tobias and Embiid's lines, but Ben Simmons, yeah, five points, eight boards, 13 assists. Yeah. They miss Danny Green a lot. I mean, Quirk Maz, I just don't think he gave him enough of that starting lineup. I'm going to talk, I'm going to close it out before we go to the live chat, talk about the incredible game seven we witnessed yesterday between Milwaukee and Brooklyn. I thought it was a really competitive game. I thought there was a lot of stretches of poor basketball that was, that was being played. And a lot of these games, though, here's my thing. I think this playoffs has been awesome, like obviously way better than last year. But I can't help but notice there are some stretches of basketball that are so bad to watch, like just terrible IQ basketball that's just like, it's entertaining sometimes, but sometimes I'm just like shaking my head. Like this is not good basketball sometimes. Because the IQs, as I said, is the NBA getting better? All-time lows. But the Nets and Bucks, though, I thought Kevin Durant. Like, I enjoyed watching him this playoffs more than I did in any year in Golden State. I mean, it was just so awesome 
seeing the um so awesome seeing Kevin Durant garner responsibility without nuclear weapons on either side of him. And, you know, to have to actually carry a bit. He actually had to carry. That's what everybody wanted to see. And he carried, all right, man. 48 points. He just would not go down. Every single time it looked like the Nets were going to go down, he wouldn't let them. And I thought that the Bucks came out with great energy. I thought that Giannis was, was awesome in this game. You know, he was very aggressive going to the rim. And he was 8 of 14 from the line. But it felt like watching the game that he made most of them as the game went on. And it was funny because the fans were counting down the seconds on his long-ass free throw routine. And a couple of times I'm like, how are they not giving this a violation? But Giannis, he was very aggressive. Middleton and Holiday were very poor shooting the ball in the beginning, but it was a very good defensive game. I thought that both teams were physical and the refs let him play a bit. And, you know, the Nets were up by six in, at halftime, but the third quarter is really when the Bucks really evened it out. James Harden, though, so bad to watch. And it's I know he was injured, but this is what people need to understand about him, and this is why I cannot stand him. And this is why I think that he's vastly overrated. Because when he's not scoring, and he's not he, when he can't penetrate, he offers nothing. He's lazy on defense. He's extremely pick and choose. He stands around at the top of the key, dribbling endlessly he takes way too long to make his move and he doesn't move without the ball so when he's not getting buckets or penetrating or beating his man he's a total liability and even though i'm probably not going to add this into his list of playoff failures five of 17 two of 12 from three 22 points nine assists four turnovers i just thought he was weak and I thought somebody else that really choked, Joe Harris. 3 of 10 from the field, 3 of 9 from 3. A lot of them were great looks. He finished with 10 points, especially one wide open. And I mean wide open shot in overtime that he missed. And it could have given the Nets the 3-point lead. But obviously the injury to Kyrie Irving, it killed the Nets. And I think they fully would have won the series, even if they didn't have Harden, just Kyrie. Honestly, thought the way they were playing with Kyrie and Durant was pretty pretty impressive. But that fourth quarter was a roller coaster. I mean, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, like to have such bad games shooting the ball and then in the fourth quarter to turn it on like they did. And Chris Middleton was hitting some fadeaways, mid-range fadeaways that were like Booker-like, you know what I'm saying? Like just tough-ass shots. And Drew Holiday, he was, he was missing some chippies throughout the game, but he got into that lane. He got into that mid-range floater area. He was making some tough shots. And he made some big threes. But that Kevin Durant shot, like, that was on the foot was on the line before uh, overtime. So impressive. I mean, that was Kobe S. Like fading away right in front of the line, and turning around like that, spectacular. And I thought they won. The, I thought they won the series when he made that. I was like, oh my god, the momentum is like that's gonna change the momentum. The building's gonna go crazy. But it looked very similar to that 2018 Cavs game one, except KD didn't like. He didn't look as defeated as LeBron did in that game, but. He missed. You know, he, he kind of ran out of gas. He made one shot, and I think that he he airballed that shot late. He just ran out of gas, and I just don't think that his players gave him enough support. And I, I you know I'm not one to make excuses for players. I think KD could have been better in the overtime session, but I think that blaming KD is harsh because he gave so much of his end on both ends of the court, not just one. He gave everything he had. 
I thought he, you know, was unfortunate with injuries, but at the same time, Harris didn't play well enough. Harden was a total liability out there. And I'm just so happy that the Bucks won this series because not only does it help us, the Clippers, in having a better chance of winning the championship because the Nets were by far our hardest matchup, but the Nets aren't in the finals. And we don't want to see super teams win here on Dime Dropper. We never want to see super teams win. We never want to see players taking the easy way out being rewarded. And Kevin Durant, I don't know if he recruited Harden or not, but easy, easy. With, with those three, easy. You know, Harden, the way he went out of Houston was disgraceful. The way he gave up on the franchise and, you know, the way he not only went to go team up with a, a, a better player than him, but with two awesome players, I can't stand watching him play. And I'm so happy um, to see them lose. So happy. And, to, you know, you got to give the Bucks a ton of credit. After that demoralizing game five where Giannis dropped the ball, to come back and win two games and to go into a hostile Barclays Center and win a game seven on the road. Man, incredible. Giannis, though. I know I know this Bucks team, like, they're a little suspect, you know, because I don't think they would have won without Kyrie or with Kyrie. But that's an impressive win for Giannis, man. He, he played as good as KD, arguably, in that game seven. He went toe-to-toe. And he beat KD in a series that he played every game. I mean, at the same time, that's that's something he can put on his resume. And you got to give the Bucs credit, man. I'm happy to see them win. I'm happy to see them win. Drew Holiday got them a step further to the conference finals. Second time in three years. The Nets season is over, baby. Over. That's what you get for that super team. And not prioritizing chemistry during the season. Because they only played eight games together. And that was never going to win the championship. So I'm so happy the Nets are out. Screw the Nets. And I hope they never win anything as long as they're together with this three. Ever. But got to give the Bucks credit. Let me read the stat lines. Kevin Durant, 48 points, 17 of 36 from the field. I love that he shot a ton. 4 of 11 from three, 10 of 11 from the line. I love seeing Durant. And I'm going to tell you this right now. In my opinion, he's the best player in the NBA. With Steph after him. As of now, he's the best player in the NBA to me. He's just so smooth in the way he scores. He showed me he can carry. He showed me he can run, pick and roll to perfection. He just didn't have that second guy for those last three games. And the funny part is he still won that game five basically single-handedly. Blake Griffin. My heart goes out to Blake. But I did tell you all this. Even though he played well, I mean, 17 points, 11 rebounds. He wasn't going to be this big difference maker that everybody thought he was going to be. or Not everybody, but a lot of people thought he was going to be. The dude is not the same player he was in 2019 and before. He's not. He's a solid role player. And he's not great on defense at all. Never has been and never will be. It sucks because Blake's never made out of the second round still. I feel bad for the guy. 17 points, 7 to 12 from the field, 3 to 6 from 3. Bruce Brown, 14 points, 7 to 9. I already read Plumber Jim's stat line. Landry Shamit, seven minutes, donuts across the board with one rebound. He's out in the second round. Congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm going to read their stat lines now. P.J. Tucker, he deserves so much credit for how he defended this series. He had the task of guarding the best one-on-one player of this decade. And he made, he did everything he could to make life tough on him. That game three... He was just exceptional. Game six, he was great. He was just phenomenal. 
P.J. Tucker. What an addition that was to give him that toughness, to give him another on-ball defender. Um, Giannis, 40 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, 15 of 24 from the field, and he played 50 minutes. So big ups to Giannis, man. He won- And I love Giannis's hunger. 23 points for Chris Middleton to go along with 10 rebounds and 6 assists. 9 of 26 from the field. 2 of 7 from 3. But in the 4th quarter, he turned up. He turned up and made some big shots in overtime too. Brooke Lopez had a solid game. 19 points, 8 rebounds when, they- when he needed it. 7 of 11 from the field and 3 of 4 from 3. And Drew Holiday, terrible shooting night, but he hit shots when they counted. 13 points, 7 boards, 8 assists, 5 of 23 from the field. That is less than 25% and 2 of 9 from 3, but they live to see another day. And it's time for the Bucks. If there's ever a chance for Giannis to make the finals, it's never going to get easier than this. This is it. This is why you re-sign with a small market team. This is when you get rewarded. Other teams were injured. Y'all stayed the course all year. Rested a little too much for my liking, in my opinion. In my opinion, they could have gotten the second seed, should have gotten the second seed. But it all, that, all that matters is that they're here. Conference finals. Should make the finals, and we'll see. Congrats to the Bucks. That's all for me tonight, guys, for the recap. Now we're going to go live to the subscribers. If you have not checked out my video of Game 6, please go check it out. It's my favorite video ever, obviously. And I want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. We finally reached 3,000 subscribers. On the night the Clippers broke the curse, we reached 3,000 subscribers. I mean, some shit is just meant to be. It's crazy how life how life does you sometimes, man. It's a beautiful thing, life. Beautiful thing. So thank you, but we ain't satisfied. We need to get to 5K. 3K is nothing. We were there for a long time. We were on 2,000 for a long time. Now we got to get to that 5K. Peace out, y'all, and I'll see you not tomorrow, but Tuesday night after game two of Clipper Suns.